In John chapter 20, uh, there are two fairly lengthy stories told of um, people that are encountering the resurrected, the resurrected Christ. And I'd like to spend most of my energy on those two people this morning. One would be Mary Magdalene, the other would be Thomas. And, uh, you know, if you were to read further in John 20 and on to 21, Jesus deals with Peter. But of these two people, I, I want you to note the first one that sees Christ out of that inner group and then the last one that sees him out of that inner group and recognize the differences of temperament and pursuit and yet the joy of knowing that Christ cared about them enough to come seek them out and to spend that time with them. And I guess that's what stirs my heart through this thing is that um, for the resurrected Christ to be meaningful for us, we've got to have an encounter as well, right? And our lives need to be set free in Him. And, but that's available, and that's the beauty of it. Um, Mary Magdalene first. The first mention of her is in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. It says that Jesus set her free of a demonic, and that uh, He drove out seven demons. And, you know, we look at that, and most of us aren't sure when we encounter the demonic or not. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you plainly, I've had some encounters and I've had opportunity to, to see dream, demons driven out, but I do not feel myself proficient in any way that, in, in regard to that. Um, that said, the demonic seeks to destroy and unravel our lives. And in encounters that you have, oftentimes it can be a heightened sense of fear where you just, there's this awareness that I, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or there can be other instances, but I look at a woman like this who had been set free. Her life is forever changed. And it's quite possible that she was going to have to dig her way out of some things, but the start was there. Years ago, I felt like God set me free from something that uh, had been controlling of my life. And I felt like that was a freedom from a demonic thing. But I still, there were decisions to be made, but the battle was never quite the same. I remember sitting in my office one day, and another guy and I were there with a young man. And, and uh, he was a cutter, which is kind of unusual for guys. But uh, we're, we're looking at him, and we're going, you need to be set free. And we prayed, and there was this transformation immediately. You know, and for weeks, he's, he's living completely different. And then he went back into the same old junk. But I, in that window of time, I'm looking at it and saying, this man was set free from the demonic. When I, when I read the story of Mag, Mary Magdalene, I look at this and say, here was a woman whose life was controlled in a destructive fashion. Jesus set her free. Powerful, powerful. And so it was natural then that she would be around them. It says, you know, the disciples would travel with Jesus, and there were a number of women who participated in this group as well. She was one of those. You know, her life had been changed. And when you go to the cross and you see that scene there, she's one of the names listed at the cross. When that body is brought to the tomb, she's one of the names listed there. 
She's, she's part of this whole process. This is the man who helped change her life. And so when the body goes to be anointed after the Sabbath, who's there? Mary Magdalene. She gets to this, this, they go to anoint the body and suddenly there's an earthquake and the stone is rolled away and, and uh, it says the guards were like stones. They just, you know, and Mary in this encounter with the empty tomb is an angelic visitation and she's told, you know, go tell the disciples. She goes and tells and there's kind of a skepticism about it all. And, you know, they're, they're, they're wrestling through, what does this mean? But where this story picks up, and I want to just get a little bit, Mary apparently goes back to the tomb, and she's weeping. You know, and if, if, you know, if, you've, if you've looked at the story of her life, it just the little glimpses that we get, she's trying to put it all together. And she's distraught. She's not necessarily recognizing a resurrected Christ. She's more or less saying, where's the body? At least let me grieve. This this sorrow is overwhelming. And as to that, Jesus says to her, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me. Where have you laid him? I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. And he tells her, don't cling to me. Oh, this, is, <laughs> this isn't over. But she says, go announce to the disciples. I've, and she goes to announce and says, I've seen the Lord. She's the first one to have this opportunities, visitation. This broken soul who's been set free by Christ is the first one to see the resurrection. You know, it's not like it was saved for those who had, you know, lived perfect life, but this is, this is given to one who has responded to the message and had a transformation, and now she has opportunity to see Christ. First one. What a wonderful privilege. Beautiful thing. The second one that is told in this story is Thomas. Thomas has a little bit different thing. He's one of the disciples. But uh, the first real incident that you see him listed is, is when Lazarus has died, and Jesus is talking of going to where Lazarus is in the tomb. And the disciples are telling, if you go into that town, you'll be killed. The religious leaders will put you to death. So there's this dialogue going on. Do we even dare go there? Thomas makes this declaration. Let's go die with him. I assume that he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is going there. We're part of this. Let's just go do it. But out of that, I kind of get this pragmatic, glass half full, um, fatalistic approach, you know, just says, well, if it is, you know, this is what it is. Let's just do it. It is not the the eye of faith. It is just this, this is what I see. This is what we do. 
if anything, I've lived too much of my life in that mode. It's not a, a, a thing of belief. It's not a thing of faith. It's just a, let's get through this. And that's, the, that's what I see, at least, coming out of this initial story. The Last Supper is another incident. Jesus is saying, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And, you know, it's a, a beautiful declaration to the hope that we have of the future. What's Thomas say? We don't know where you're going. How are we going to get there? I haven't seen you working on any houses. You got property we don't know about? What's going on? Then Jesus makes that declaration, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's this beautiful thing that we cling to is one of the keys to our faith. But for Thomas, again, it's I can't see anything. So what are you saying? After the death, the disciples, for the most part, gather together. Thomas isn't there, and Jesus shows up the first time. And I'm assuming that Thomas goes, well, it's over. Might as well go do something. Get back to life. That's, that's my interpretation of it. But he's not there with the others. You know, pleasure being with you guys for the last few years. Been an amazing run. Might as well get on with life. Obviously, I'm reading a lot into that. When they come and say, we saw Christ, we saw the Christ, we saw Jesus, what, what's the declaration he makes? Lest I see his hands, lest I can put my hand in his side, I'm not having anything to do with this. Man of faith, right? Not so much. But Jesus cares about Thomas too. Jesus came said, we've seen the Lord. Lest I see his hands, the mark of the nails, put my finger in the mark of the nails, place my hand to his side, I'll never believe. Eight days later, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. It amazes me. Jesus cared enough to liberate the mind that had no faith. Jesus cared enough to invest himself in someone whose faith just wasn't there. He's done that for me. He's done that for a lot of us. You know, there are times when you just, I mean, I, quite honestly, I can see myself in both these stories at times. But the, the reality is, he's wanting to do the same in our lives even now. He wants to free us from the strength of the demonic. He wants to free us from our sin. He wants to allow faith to build. He wants to invest in us in ways that cause us to believe so that we can respond and have our lives transformed by him. 
What an honor that is. I'd like you to stand with me, and I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to ask him to do that in our hearts even in this time, okay? For those who have yet to believe in you, I would pray, Lord, that you'd bring events into their lives that will cause them with certainty to declare in their hearts, he is alive. For each one, that would look different, Lord. But I ask for it today. I ask for those that have been wrestling with strongholds that they seem to have no power to overcome or sins that have controlled their lives, I ask for you to set them free. For one that is ruled by their fears and shame of the past, I ask, Lord, that you would release them from that even in this moment, acknowledging that you have paid the price for their sin and desire to see them walk in newness of life and freedom. We acknowledge you as Lord, ruler of all things. You hold the power to create new life in us, to free us from the chains that have bound our lives. We ask for that this morning. We declare you are Lord. You are risen indeed. We love you this day. Some of you are having encounters with God this morning. I've been praying for that all week long. And I believe it's taking place. The worst thing you can do is walk out of here and say, well, that was powerful. Unless it transforms your life, what's the value? And so what I want to declare to you is what needs to take place is is to just say, no, it's not about the emotion of the music. You know, obviously, music stirs our hearts that way. But there's got to be a deeper work. And that often transpires when we're worshiping Him. There might be a time where during the message, suddenly it's like it's clear, and you're going, yeah, that is real. Why, though? Where, where's it taking you? What are you going to do with it? might have been a time in prayer even this morning where somebody was praying something specific into your life you're going I don't get it they they seem to know what are you going to do with it I urge you seal it in him even now and say oh I give you I open up my heart where do you want this to go then let him transform you if you need prayer there's plenty of opportunity for people, particularly up front, they'll, they'll seek you out or just hang around long enough and, and somebody will find you. But, you know, let's, let's take care of this even in this moment, okay? I'm going to pray for God's blessing upon you. What remains is open-ended, but uh, I, I urge you again, take care of what needs to be taken care of in the Lord. May your blessing rest on these, your people. And they know the fullness of favor that you intend for the lives. May they discover the joy, the newness of life that you offer. May they be set free by your mighty power, healed in you. 
I ask, Lord, that as they go into the community, that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the deeds of your kingdom. Gift them with the supernatural, that your name might be lifted up and exalted. We honor you this morning. We love you. Amen. Amen. I bless you.